We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, June the 10th, 2021. Today's show, I officially put a pin in the 2021 Yardcocks baseball season as I hand out grades and awards. We'll first start with our postseason report card, talking pitching, hitting, fielding, coaching, and, of course, my overall grade for Gamecocks baseball this past season. Also, drum roll, please, folks. The TSUS 2021 postseason postseason award show returns as I talk the Golden Scythe Award, Michael Roth Award, Matt Price Award, Freshman of the Year, Slap Dick of the Year, Moore's Mehe Lucrum Award, Best Moment, MVP, along with many, many others as well. And I also give my brief thoughts on the 2021 baseball season, where I think the Gamecocks need to improve, the positives, the negatives from this past year, and look ahead to the 2022 Yardcocks baseball season, guys. All that and more. Also, news and notes to get into your listener questions. And we do have a fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks defensive lineman Cedric Cooper joins me for a fantastic interview talking Gamecocks football that you surely Will not want to miss, guys. we got a packed show here on a Thursday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer legit logistics, and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group, or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
and gents, boys and girls, happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up show. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. We have got a packed show here on a Thursday talking Gamecocks baseball. As I officially put a pin in the 2021 Yardcocks baseball season. And man, what a season it was. Again, guys, first things first, appreciate you all tuning in. Wherever this may find you, whether you're on the commute, you're at the office, you're on the job, you've got the day off. Maybe you're on vacation enjoying this warm weather we've got right now. I feel like the rain has finally started to move out of Columbia. We're starting to get the the good weather back, that good, hot South Carolina weather. I know yesterday it was a scorcher. So hopefully you're on a body of water somewhere. Hopefully you're drinking a cold beverage, whatever it is you may be doing. But again, guys, thank you all so much for tuning in and you know what i'm excited i'm so excited to do this show but i'm also kind of sad i'm also kind of sad to do the show one of the reasons i'm sad is because we're talking south kind of baseball for what may be the last time for quite a while because honestly guys over the summer you know we're getting into our preseason football content as i told you guys before there is no off season we're getting into our preseason football content with that being said Really nothing happening uh, over the summer in regards to Carolina baseball. And, you know, we might have some conversations here and there. I'd, I'd love to get the D1 baseball guys back on to talk Carolina baseball after the, the College World Series is wrapped up. And we'll certainly be keeping up with the guys as they, you know, go with the MLB draft and, and go to their summer locations, whether it be the Cape Cod League or the Coastal Plain or whatever league they're playing in. But, uh, yeah, this will be one of the last times we talk about Carolina baseball for quite some time, which is kind of sad for me. Like I said, it's crazy, guys. I'll tell you. It's crazy how this has been a strange week for me in the sense of, you know, we've had Carolina baseball to look forward to and to talk about, I mean, for what, the past four months now, basically. And now we come into a time where we're getting in the summer and baseball season for South Carolina is officially over. What sucks also for me is, you know, I know there's a Super Regional being played in Columbia this weekend and the College World Series is upcoming. And I certainly most likely will watch the College World Series, but like, I, I just don't have the motivation to watch college baseball right now. The wound is too fresh. It still hurts. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be bitter. I'm going to be salty. It is what it is. But, again, always great to reflect and look back, especially when you have the type of season that Sal kind of did. And that's what we're going to do today. Like I said, guys, you already know the drill because we did this at the midway point of the season, of the SEC season at least. I'm going to give my grades for the 2021 baseball season as a whole as well as the 2021 Yardcocks TSUS postseason award show and a ton of great awards we are going to hand out. Guys, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into it. First things first, we're going to start with the grades, our postseason report card for Gamecocks baseball. You know what's crazy? I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. I ran a lot of polls the other day on social media about two days ago. I ran a ton of polls asking you guys to grade the pitching, the hitting, the fielding, the coaching, and the overall grade for the 2021 season. We actually agreed on a lot of these grades, which I thought was really, really surprising because, I mean, how often do Gamecock fans agree on anything for that matter? But uh, we seem to be on the same page for a lot of, the, a lot of these, which kind of surprised me, but hey, great minds think alike. Let's start on the bump. We're going to grade the pitching in 2021. We'll start on the bump. And when you look at South Carolina, of course, this was the strength of the ball club, right? Just reading over some numbers, 3.8 ERA overall, 4.26 SEC ERA, but you were fourth in the SEC 
in ERA. And pitching truly was the bread and butter of Gamecocks baseball in 2021. You know, pitching depth. We talked about in the preseason. I, I harped over and over that. I thought this was the deepest rotation and deepest pitching staff we had seen in Columbia in a couple of years, and that proved to be true. I mean, you had options on options on options, and then, of course, you had Jack Mahoney go down with an injury late in the year, but you had him as well, and you had, you had youngsters step up. You had veteran guys step up. Your bullpen was incredible. Really top to bottom, this pitching staff gave you all you could have asked for. They, they, just, they simply gave you all you could have asked for. So I'm giving the Gamecocks pitching an A for the 2021 baseball season. Now, you might ask yourself, Chris, you said they gave you all you could ask. Why do you not give them an A+. Plus? Here is the biggest reason why I am not giving the South Carolina pitching staff an A-plus for the 2021 season. Again, an A is a fantastic grade. Let's not take anything away from that because you ranked in the top five of most categories in the SEC when, in regards to pitching statistics. You think of batters struck out and uh, opposing batting, batting average against. You didn't walk a lot of guys and obviously ERA. So South Carolina did its job on the mound. The one thing I will say that I think needs to be a top priority going into next year, and the reason I would not give the Gamecocks an A-plus and instead give them an A on the mound is just the issues and inconsistencies in game one. And I think finding, listen, one of the character traits of championship ball clubs, right? And you look back at South Carolina in 2010, 11, 12. This fact applies. You look at all the teams right now, all the SEC teams that are top of the league. This fact applies to them all. And this is something that I think South Carolina was missing. And, hey, all due respect to Thomas Farr because he pitched his tail off. Three and seven record with a 3.87 ERA through the most innings on the Gamecock staff. He more than did his job, right? It was not Thomas Farr's fault that they were losing game ones at the rate at which they did so, right? I, I think he gave you all you could ask for more. But one of the top priorities, in my opinion, going into next season for Gamecocks baseball, and I think you look at a guy like Will Sanders who can be this guy, and you think of some young guys that might come in and some other options you're going to have returning. But to have a championship-caliber season and to have a special season to be a special ball club, you need that true, bona fide, number one guy leading your weekend rotation. And Thomas Farr, as good as he was, you know, when you're shuffling guys out of that one role and you move Brandon Jordan there, then you move Brett Carey there, that screams to me, we don't know who our number one is. We, we, we thought we knew. We don't really know. Again, in 2010, it was Blake Cooper. There's no question who it was. It was Blake Cooper. In 2011-12, there was no question it was Michael Roth. Going into next season, I think that's got to be a priority for Gamecocks baseball. You've got to find that number one and stick with that number one. Hey, we're going to ride our horse throughout the season. Like, he's that good. We trust him that he is that good. And I will say there were some instances where Thomas Farr, again, did his job, but you know, had some had some rough games, had some rough ball games in the sense of not setting the tone for Carolina baseball, you know, giving up two in the first, three in the first, whatever it may be. And he would settle down, right? But, you know, you, you just felt a little uneasy about the ace of your staff. And if you're going to get to Omaha and be a championship caliber ball club, 
That cannot be a question mark on your baseball team. And I think at times, again, you saw Brandon Jordan shuffle in that role. You saw Brett Carey shuffle in that role. When South Carolina was going to Omaha, they had that undisputed number one guy. There was no question who the number one dude was. There was no question who you wanted to hand the ball to. So, again, I'm being very nitpicky. I'm splitting hairs. And when you see what Thomas Farr did in that Saturday game against Old Dominion, hey, he pitched like a certified ace just like I thought he would. But I think that would be one of my top priorities for Gamecocks baseball next season is to find that truly weekend in, weekend out, dependable guy. Because you saw it all across the SEC. You know, we talked a lot about hitting this year, which we're going to get to the hitting in just a second. We talked a lot about hitting and the struggles and why you were losing all these game ones, right? It's because you're hitting. It wasn't because you're pitching. It was because you're hitting. But you looked across the SEC. I mean, listen, there were a lot of ball teams, a lot of ball clubs winning games one to nothing, two to one. You know, guys like Doug Nikhazy and Gunnar Hogland, both on the same team at Ole Miss. You think of Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker and uh, Tommy Mace at Florida. And, and you think of, you know, you think of some of these other guys all across the SEC, all these aces across the SEC. Sometimes you got to go win a ball game one or nothing, and you got to have that ace who can go out and just flat out win pitcher of the week. He can go win conference pitcher of the week. He can just be flat out better than the guy he's going up against. So, again, splitting hairs there. Pitching, though, gets an A. Top to bottom, I thought the starters were great. Uh, even your midweek guys are great. I think that's the reason you saw Sal kind of have so much success in the midweek is because of the pitching depth. Your young guys pitched well. Your bullpen was untouchable for most of the season. So, overall, my grade for Gamecocks pitching in 2021 – I give the South kind of pitching staff an A. Now, let's move to the hitting side of things. This is where things get interesting. This is where things get dicey, of course, with the hitting struggles in 2021. You look back, and just how much of a struggle was it for South Carolina? Get this, a 246 overall average, 228 SEC average. And I'll be honest with you guys, I thought it was going to be lower than 228. I really did. I thought it was going to be lower than 228. Just how bad were those numbers? You ranked 13th in the conference in batting average. I'd have to imagine you were dead last in just purely SEC average. But overall average, you ranked 13th in batting average. And you know what's wild to me is, is we kept defending this lineup. And I, I, I was the number one person. You know, I, I kept defending this lineup in regards to power. I mean, you only finished seventh in home runs. So it's not like you were leading the conference in home runs, but, you know, you have a terrible batting average. I mean, you were middle of the pack in the SEC in long balls and still yet 13th in the conference in batting average. Again, long story short, we all know the struggles that were South Carolina at the plate. You know, you struck out way too much. Situational hitting was not there for most of the season. This team's recipe to victory this past season was pitch your tail off and pray to God you swing it just enough to find a way to get a win. You know, I, I told you guys, I believe on the Monday show, something that's got to change with Gamecocks baseball going into next season. And it's an indictment. It's a telltale sign of just how bad the hitting was this past year. I mean, how many times, guys, did you feel watching games? We'd get down two to nothing and fans were like, oh, game's over. We're not coming back. You know, we, we'd be down. We, we would, you know, one of the most 
telling signs to me was game one of the Mississippi State series. You are down three to nothing going to the seven. And God rest his soul, whatever. He's transferred Mag Cotto. You go to Mag Cotto in a game one. And hey, I wish him nothing but the best, but was he your number one option out of the bullpen? Far from it. Absolutely far from it. Okay. And what that move said to me was, wow, we don't believe we're not even going to put our number one bullpen arm in because we don't have faith and believe our offense can score three runs and make this a ball game. So our thought process is, okay, we're basically conceding this game one. Why burn one of our best arms in a game we know we're not going to win? That mindset, that mentality has to change. It has to change. You know, three runs, four runs, five runs in college baseball, it ain't jack shit, but it was for the 2021 group of hitters. And for that reason, I give the hitting in 2021 a D plus. I mean, you had some nice moments. You had some nice stories. And we're going to get into our awards and such a little bit later in the show. You know, Wes Clark obviously leading the SEC in home runs and, you know, the, the big year he had. And you had, like I said, you had some nice moments at the plate with, with guys like Brady Allen and Andrew Eister and Josiah Seitler and, and Colin Burgess and some other guys. But as a collective, as a whole, watching South Carolina at the dish was like pulling teeth. I mean, it was brutal. It was brutal for most of the time. And like I said, that whole, that has to change for Gamecocks baseball in the sense of, you know, being more of an explosive, a productive offensive ball club. The power was there most of the time. Again, you only finished seventh in home run. So unfortunately, you can't sell it as, oh, we were just sacrificing average for, you know, these gaudy power numbers. I mean, outside of one guy, your power numbers weren't really all that gaudy, to be totally honest with you. Seventh in the conference. Now, if you were leading the conference in homers and hitting 246, I might say, oh, okay, well, you know, we're just a we're just a gorilla ball type of club, but you weren't. You actually were not. And that's why I started to talk later in the season. Hey, productivity over power. Who cares about the long ball? Who cares? Find a way to drive guys in, situational hitting, two out hitting. And like Mark Kingston said, you know, South Carolina just struck out too much. They just struck out too much, bottom line. I'm trying to find the numbers here in regards to, yeah. Listen to this. The Gamecocks struck out more than any SEC team this season. 545 strikeouts for the Gamecocks. Second is Ole Miss at 543, and I'm sure they're going to pass South Carolina because they're still playing. But 545 strikeouts, guys, it simply just cannot happen. I understand the culture of baseball. I understand how baseball has changed. It's all about the long ball and hitting the 500-foot home run. It's all about throwing 100 miles an hour. And guys just strike out, no big deal. Like, being a productive baseball player, it's not the cool thing anymore. It's all about launch angle and spin rate and whatever. But at the college level, when this ain't about signing a $100 million contract, this is about winning baseball games. And winning baseball is getting bunts down. Winning baseball is hit and run. Winning baseball is moving a guy over from second to third. Hey, I love power. And I'm not saying take away power from counter baseball. We are known for power. We play in a hitter-friendly ballpark. It is, a, it is an advantage. It is a strength 
to have a lineup where you have guys in it who can change the game with one swing. We saw it multiple times this year. Andrew Eister against Florida literally kept South Carolina in that baseball game, and then you walk it off. Brady Allen, one swing, beat Tennessee in game two with a three-run homer. So that home run's valuable. But you know what's more valuable? Being a productive baseball player. And I know a lot of you have a lot of questions in regards to the hitting coach, the approach, what needs to change, guys. I don't really know what the answers are. You know, is firing Stuart Lake going to solve all your problems? I don't know. I think more so it comes back down to recruiting. I think it comes back down to recruiting good hitters, good productive hitters. I think that's truly what it comes down to. And you've got a ton of guys in this recruiting class, not to go on a total rant in regards to looking ahead to next season, but you've got a ton of guys in this class who are fielders, who should have a chance at playing time, who, from what I've heard, seen, watched, are pretty good hitters coming in, highly touted hitters. So, because something's got to change. Something's got to change again. 246 overall average, 228 in the SEC. That ain't going to get it done. That's just simply not going to get it done. And I tell you, it was damn near disrespectful how bad the hitting was, as good as the pitching was this year. So, again, I give the hitting a D+. You know, I don't give them an F because, yes, you did have Wes Clark. Brady Allen did some really nice things for you. But as a whole, as a collective, and, hey, love George Khalil to death. But, man, you cannot – I mean, you look at the averages, guys. George Khalil hit 193. You you cannot have anyone in your starting nine hitting 193. You know, Andrew Eister led this ball club with a 279 average. I mean, you don't have a single guy hitting over 300. That's got to change. That has to change. If you're going to take that next step and become an Omaha caliber club, that has to change. So, again, for the 2021 Gamecocks baseball season, I give the South Carolina hitters a D-plus grade. Let's move into fielding. And I know know people had gripes about the fielding this year. South Carolina fielded a 976 fielding percentage, which was good enough for sixth in the SEC. I, I, I think fans... You know, was this a 2010, 2011 Scott Wingo-led infield? Was it that good of a fielding ball club? No, but I think what this was was a ball club that, while it made some frustrating blunders, no question, the upside was there with this group. I mean, there's defensive plays all over that stand out all year long. Brady Allen's catch at the wall, Braylon Wimmer's throw in the Clemson game. Um you know, some plays that Brennan Malone made, you know, George Khalil, obviously I thought he had a really good year in the field. Going to talk about him more in just a second, but overall a a solid ball club defensively. Was it anything to go home and brag about? Was it anything where, you know, I I think our defense was a game changer in a lot of instances? No, but the defense didn't lose you games either. For that reason, I give the fielding a B. I really have nothing bad to say about the fielding. Um, You know, I, I would say finding a, 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 a strong defensive first baseman would be a priority as well as offensively, but defensively we saw some issues and some deficiencies later in the year, but overall nothing bad to say about the fielding. I give the fielding a B. It was solid, nothing crazy, some flashiness here and there, some blunders here and there. Overall, good job. Give the fielding an overall grade of a B. Let's move into coaching. How do I grade coaching? in the 2021 Yardcocks baseball season. I'm sure many of you are saying, oh, Chris, give Kingston an F. Give him an He's a hitting coach, this, that. No, listen. Was it a perfect season 
on the coaching side of things. But you have to also think, I'm not just talking Mark Kingston. I'm talking Kingston. I'm talking Lake. I'm talking Skylar Mead. I'm talking Mike Current. Everyone on that coaching staff. And I'll start with Skylar Mead and the pitching staff. Guys, you should be saying nothing to Skylar Mead other than, hey, great job this season. I know people love to say, oh, you should have pulled him. You should have left him in. People bitch and moan about that no matter what. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't as a pitching coach. That's just it. You know, if, if you leave him in and he gets the job done, you're a genius. If you pull him and the reliever gives him a run, oh, you're an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Sometimes you just got to give your guy an opportunity to do a job. On the hitting side of things, of course, hey, these are Mark Kingston's hitters. This is Stuart Lake's lineup as well. We understand. And I told you guys, I'm a Kingston guy. My one knock on Kingston is I think sometimes he tries to overthink this thing a little bit. And you saw that at times this season with some questionable moves in regards to starting different guys in the midweek. And then, of course, the third base position, which was a complete mess. Um, so you have that side of things. But overall, you know, I, I thought the coaching was solid. I, I thought the coaching was good. There were not many times this year where I watched Gamecock baseball and said, oh, Mark Kingston just cost us the game. Oh, coaching just cost us the game. I mean, most of the times when we lost, we just got beat. Bottom line, we just got beat. You can you can kick, scream, and fuss, and yell, and disagree with me, and you can you know be upset to your blue in the face. That's where I stand on it, though. I, I don't think we lost many, if really any, games on coaching. We lost on execution, and you know because I, I go back to this too. People talk about the hitting and firing the hitting coach. Guys, they're not coaching them to strike out five hundred forty-five times in the season. They're not coaching Braylon Wimmer to, to swing at every curveball in the dirt that he sees. They're not coaching Wes Clark to not be able to identify and adjust to a slider. Like, they are not coaching those guys to do that. Okay? So, again, I think that comes back to recruiting and getting some big-time hitters in here that are going to fix some of those issues. But overall, you know, the biggest thing I preached and harped on, and I'll say it yet again, is this. I have no issues if people want to go for Kingston's neck, if they want to go after Skylar Mead, if they want to go after the coaches. Hey, these are paid professionals. These guys are getting paid a lot of money to coach college baseball. By all means, hold them accountable. Criticize. Go after them. Whatever. Call them out if they make a bad move. But at the same time, if you're going to do that, Keep your energy consistent and give credit when credit's due. There were many times this, hey, moving Brett Carey to the starting rotation, that was a fantastic move. Moving Will Sanders to the weekend rotation, great move. Moving Julian Bosnick into the bullpen, that obviously paid huge dividends. You know, hey, pinch hitting Jeff Heinrich in key situations and he would get a big knock for you. There were plenty of coaching situations. Hey, if, if, like I said, you got to keep it both ways. How about Josiah Seitler, a guy I'm going to talk about in just a little bit? I mean, Josiah Seitler is a guy that went from being a nobody, nothing on this roster. He was your three-hole hitter all season long. That's coaching. Like, give credit to coaching. If you're going to blame coaching when things don't go well, give credit to coaching when you have successes. And like it or not, hearing this, you had more successes than failures this year. So for that reason, I am giving the coaching a B plus. Again, were there at some times, you know, 
things left to be desired? Did I sometimes look at things and look at the lineup and go, God, coach, I feel like we're overthinking this thing a little bit. You're trying to reinvent the wheel. Hey, the third base position. There were other instances, but as a whole, I, I thought the coaching did a good job. There were there were really very, very few, if any, instances where I look at a game and say, oh, we lost this game because of coaching. I, I, I just, you know, and, and guys, trust me, I would say it if I felt that way. There were not many times where I felt that way. So, again, I give the coaching for the 2021 season a B plus. Now, wrapping up, the overall grade for the Gamecocks 2021 baseball season. 34 and 23 overall, 16 and 14 in SEC play. Breaking it down even further, 23 and 10 at home, 10 and 11 on the road, and 1 and 2 in neutral sites. So you look at this season, and like Mark Kingston said after the Sunday loss to UVA, and I think he put it put it beautifully. Hey, this is a good season, wasn't a great season, and we're trying to have great seasons around here. Hey, getting to a regional just getting to a regional, that's not the expectation of Carolina. You know, fans want Omaha. Heck, you see it all over social media. I mean, they want to wring Kingston's neck for not getting to Omaha, right? Totally fine. The expectations and the standard is what makes Gamecocks baseball great. But when I look at this season, again, 16 and 14 in the SEC, and that fit exactly with what I predicted in the preseason. I told you guys, hey, you go 15 or 15 and better in this league, you're a damn good ball club, bottom line. You are a damn good ball club, and you went 16 and 14. You did not lose a series to a team ranked outside of the top 12 all year long. You know, we all know about the schedule and the RPI and all that stuff at this point. You challenged yourself. You went on the road, played Texas, right? Now, on the flip side of that, and also, by the way, you took two of three from your arch rival, Clemson. A lot of good things happened this year. On the flip side, you had opportunities to get over that hump in regards to taking down a top team, and you could not do so. You went one and done in the SEC tournament yet again. For whatever reason, Hoover just continues to be a cursed place for the University of South Carolina's baseball program. So you went one and done in Hoover. And then, you know, after an exhilarating game one win in the Friday game against UVA in the Columbia Regional, which you got to host, you lose the next two and get knocked out of the regional that was hosted on your home field. And now there's a super regional being played this weekend on your home field. So you missed a huge opportunity there. But when you look back at this season, like I said, I told you guys, in the preseason, maybe it was just because I set realistic expectations for this ball club. I said this was going to be a super regional ball club, and this team was not that far off. This team was not that far off. It was a good season. It wasn't a great season. It was a good season. For that reason, I grade the Gamecocks 2021 baseball season as a B. Again, satisfactory. It was good. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. But if I would have told you, guys, if I would have told you in the preseason, hey, South Carolina is going to go 16 and 14 in conference play. They are going to host a regional, and they took two or three from Clemson. Would you sign up for that right now? Not a Gamecock fan out there would say no. Not a Gamecock fan out there. And you can disagree, but there's not a South Carolina fan out there that would have said no. Just the Clemson two out of three thing. They would have taken it just for that. So, 
I thought it was a quality year. Um, a year I think you can build on most certainly, especially that pitching staff and that rotation and what you have coming back. Obviously, we understand what the issues were or what the big issue was. But overall, good season, not a great season. For that reason, I grade the Gamecocks 2021 baseball season as a B overall. Something to build on for sure. All right, that's going to wrap up the postseason report card. The Yardcocks 2021 baseball season. Now, without further ado, drum roll, please. I got my suit and tie on right now, my tuxedo. I'm ready to hand out some awards. Hey, I've even got the scythe in hand right now. The scythe is in studio. He made an appearance. The scythe is the guest of the night, the guest of honor, whatever you want to call it. Here we go. The TSUS 2021 postseason award show presented to you by. Yours truly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I was going. That presented to you by presented to you by barbecue sunflower seeds. That's probably what I should be saying. I don't know. But anyways, the 2021 postseason award show. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into it. We're going to start. Speaking of the scythe, being the guest of honor, we're going to start with the Golden Scythe Award, which will be awarded to the top hitter from the 2021 baseball season. And yes, guys, if you're wondering. These awards are basically all of them, the same exact awards from the midseason, but for the entire baseball season. Just a little side note there. But again, the Golden Scythe Award, the top Gamecocks hitter in the 2021 baseball season. Now, when I first did this at the midway point, Brady Allen won this award. He was tearing it up in SEC play. But when you look back at this 2021 season as a whole, when you look at this year as a whole and you take a look at South Gunners lineup and you look at the statistics, there's really, in my opinion, there's only one guy you can give this to. And, you know, even with his struggles in SEC play, and even with this team struggles all throughout the year, this dude was as fun to watch and as dangerous a hitter as there is in college baseball. And, of course, I'm talking about the Gamecocks basher number 28, Wes Clark. Wes Clark hit 271 on the year, 23 Home runs, guys. Historic numbers. Historic numbers in Garnet and Black. A long ago with 55 RBI on the year to get it. Was, it was a pleasure to watch Wes Clark do what he did. Uh, you know, arguably the most feared hitter in the SEC. Again, I, I know there was some struggles for him in SEC play, but simply put, man, a guy, let me put it to you this way. I don't remember the last time, every single time a guy came up to bat, I got my phone out. And I recorded him. You know, people used to people ask me throughout the season, Chris, do you record every single pitch of every single game? And I'm like, when Wes Clark hits, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because this dude is just bound to go deep. And the start of the season that Wes Clark had, you know, again, 271 average, but 23 homers, 55 RBIs. I feel like there's no doubt this guy has to be the choice here. The official Reaper of Souls. Another soul has been claimed. Two Glocks himself. Number 28, Wes Clark. And congratulations, Wes, the winner of the Golden Scythe Award. Let's move into the Michael Roth Award, which, of course, goes to the Pitcher of the Year. Now, the answer to this question, or the answer to this award, I should say, was much different at the midway point. And he surged late in the season to claim this award. But I don't think there's anybody 
who's going to argue with me here because the Michael Roth Award goes to none other than right-handed pitcher Brett Carey. It's Carey time, baby. Brett Carey, 5-1 and one with a 2-1-5 ERA, guys. Let me read off the rest of his stat line as well. Uh, let's see. Brett Carey, 5-1, and 2-1-5 ERA. He had 17 appearances. He only started three games, but he pitched 54 and a third innings for the Gamecocks. He had uh, 84 strikeouts. I mean, get this number, guys. 54 and a third innings pitched. He had 84 strikeouts and just 10 walks. That, my friends, is getting the job done. Also, he was pivotal for South Carolina in a lot of the biggest games this season. You think of what he did in relief against Tennessee, against Mississippi State. You think of what he did against Vanderbilt. You think of the start he had at Kentucky. I mean, this dude... Every single time he took the baseball, you felt like, okay, South Carolina is going to win this game. And, hey, just like Michael Roth, that's how we felt when he took the ball. That's how I felt when Brett Carey took the ball. So, for that reason, Ryan Pitcher, Brett Carey, the winner of the Michael Roth Award for the 2021 baseball season. Let's move to the Scott Wingo Award, the best fielder on the Gamecocks roster. And this one, I'm sure, is bound to piss some people off. <laughs> because I'll, t- I'll be honest with you, there's a couple of different directions you can go here. There's a couple of different guys that you can go with. But I think he got way too much flack for probably most likely the offensive struggles he had in the 2021 season. And, I mean, I get it, man. Like I said, he hit under 200, right? Didn't even hit his body weight, most likely. But Mark Kingston made it very, very clear early in this season. Any offense he gives us, any, is a plus. We got him in there just for his glove. And he fielded 972 this year, made just five errors. And I got to say, I think probably one of the best defensive shortstops in the entire country. The Scott Wingo Award goes to none other than shortstop George Khalil. That's my Aussie right there, as we like to say at Founders Park. No, seriously, man, Khalil, again, a a really, really solid defender. I mean, he made tough plays look easy. Easy plays look routine. You know, him and Braylon Wimmer in the middle, I thought were a really dynamic doing. Again, George Khalil, you know, I I know fans got tired of Georgie. I understand fans got sick of Georgie and his, his struggles at the plate, and I totally understand that. But all I'll say is this. I hope we don't miss him too much. But it's going to be a tall task for whoever's the Gamecock shortstop next season to fill the shoes of George Khalil defensively. I mean, one of the best in the entire country at what he did. So, again, the Scott Wingo Award going to shortstop George Khalil. This is a new award I added for the postseason award show, the Matt Price Award, which goes to the reliever of the year. Now, This one's interesting because if Brett Carey would have stayed in the bullpen, he probably would have won this award as well. But, of course, as we know, he ended the season as a starter. And I mentioned this guy a little bit earlier. You know what's crazy, guys, is believe it or not, there are some guys who pitch better out of the bullpen, and there are some guys who just pitch better as starters. There are some guys who want to know, hey, I'm getting the ball every fifth day. This is my routine. I prepare myself to pitch. They like being on that schedule. And on the flip side, there are other guys who like to be ambushed. They don't like to know when they pitch. Hey, it gives them anxiety. They get nervous. They think about it too much. 
There's some guys like to be totally unaware. They get the call, boom, hey, you're going in. Hey, boom, I'm ready to go. I'm warming 10 pitches. Let's get it. And I'm not saying this guy wasn't good in the starting rotation, but I think you saw his game jump and elevate when he went to the bullpen. And, and we all had the feeling, hey, you look at what he did in the postseason as well, guys. When he came in, I thought, okay, he's shutting the door. This one's over. This dude, it feels like he was unhittable. And, of course, who I'm talking about, the southpaw, left-handed pitcher, Julian Bosnick. Bosnick, 4-2 and two on the year with a 2-8-4 ERA, had four saves for South Carolina. But, again, it goes, it goes so far beyond those numbers, in my opinion. Again, 50 and two-thirds innings pitched. He had 78 strikeouts and just 25 walks. Get this, guys. Hitters hit just 133 against Julian Bosnick. I mean, enough said. Drop the mic. Julian Bosnick was incredible out of the bullpen. I mean, as good as you've seen, he should be back next year. will be a huge weapon for Gamecocks baseball. Again, a guy, it's crazy, doesn't have like the most dominant stuff, if you will. But certainly, I think we saw he made a huge jump from 2020 to 2021, became one of the Gamecocks' most dependable arms out of the bullpen. And for that reason, Julian Bosnick is the winner of the Matt Price Award. Let's move into freshman of the year. And this one, guys, is a no-brainer. This one's super easy. He literally just went, was named a freshman All-American by Collegiate Baseball Newspaper. The freshman of the year and a guy that I think you're going to see have massive success in Garnet and Black over the next couple of years, none other than right-handed pitcher Will Sanders. Will, Big Willie, incredible this year. Six and three with a 3-5-4 ERA. Uh, let's see, 53 and a third innings pitched, 54 strikeouts, just 11 walks. He was incredible. I, I mean, he was incredible. And really what impressed me, I mean, this, obviously the stuff was there. And you knew early in the season when he came into games late against Clemson, and you sort of saw it like, okay, this dude is not a typical freshman. You know, the way he's built, the stuff, but also the confidence, the moxie, the swagger. I mean, a guy who was willing to put his face in the fan and just did not give a damn. He pitched like a veteran, not a true freshman. Again, someone that Gamecock fans, you're going to be watching for a long time the next couple of years, and I think at the next level as well. Will Sanders was incredible. Um you know, some of his more memorable outings, like I said, against Clemson, pitching what I thought was so incredible, pitching on the road at Georgia, a place, a state where he's from, and just shoving against the dogs to win that series. Will Sanders was fantastic each and every single time he took the bump. So, again, my freshman of the year, this one, a no-brainer. Ryan, a pitcher, Will Sanders. Let's move into most improved player for the 2021 baseball season. And, again, this is an award I actually added for the postseason award show. We did not do this one in the midseason award show. The most improved player for Gamecocks baseball in the 2021 baseball season. And this is another one for me, guys. That's another no-brainer. And I don't know if you guys would know the backstory on this. So I first moved here to Columbia in August of 2019. And believe it or not, I'm this much of a nerd. I'm this crazy. One of the things I'm most or was most excited for was I was like, I get to go to every inner squad and scrimmage and watch our guys and get, you know, kind of get the insight and get the scoop before opening day, right? Because we all know baseball scrimmages and all that, they're not really highly publicized events, if you will. So I was like, I get to go watch. And so I watched this guy 
in scrimmages in fall of 19. I watched him in spring of 2020. And I thought to myself, there is no way this guy has a spot on the roster. I'll just be totally honest. I thought there was no way, whether it was on the mound or at the plate, I did not think he'd be on the Gamecocks roster in 2021. And if you would have told me that he would at any point in this season be South Carolina's three-hole hitter, I would have called you insane. I literally would have called you insane. But sure enough, he did that and more and became an everyday guy for you. My most improved player for the 2021 baseball season, outfielder Josiah Seitler. Seitler hit 268 on the year, seven home runs, 31 RBIs, and really gave you a big power bat from the left-hand side. I really thought he changed his body, too, man. Kid got really big, strong. I mean, obviously, he showed off the power here and there for sure, but like I said, guys, I mean, I, I did not think there was going to be a spell in this roster for him. And again, that's no knock on him. He'd probably tell you the same exact thing. You know, you also saw him on the bump do his thing a little bit here and there. Started in the midweek for you early in the season. But Josiah Seitler, the improvements he made, I mean, he completely changed himself as a baseball player. Couldn't be happier for the kids. So, again, my most improved player of the 2021 Yardcocks baseball season, none other than outfielder Josiah Seitler. Now, let's move into slap dick of the year. And this one, I mean, there's many candidates, believe it or not. <laughs> there are many candidates. Many, many candidates. I know, you know, many of you are going to point at Nathan Hickey or the Missouri coaching staff, or the list goes on and on. But I tell you what, maybe I'm just salty. Maybe I'm still bitter. But the umpires, the, the umpires to me, the umpiring crews, they've got to be the slap dicks of this entire season. I, I, I mean, I don't know what – listen, I, I don't want robots in baseball. I have no interest in that. I, I think the human element is what makes the game special. But my goodness. The umpiring from game to game, from night to night, was so incredibly bad. It was so incredibly bad. And I don't know what's got to change. I don't know if anything can change. But my God, it is the SEC. It is the best caliber of baseball in the entire country. And you're telling me you can't get better than what we currently have now? And I feel bad for the kids. Hey, as fans, we bitch and moan, but I feel bad for the kids, man, that are getting the bat taken out of their hand, that are having the game and the results dictated by umpires who want to be the spotlight and they want to be the attention. Can we get some competent umpires at the SEC level? Is that possible? So for me, hey, there were many, there were many, many candidates out there. There were many different directions I could have went with this. But the umpires in 2021, hey, y'all take the cake. So, again, my slap dig of the year, umpires, period. All right, let's move to the Moore's Mihi Lucrum Award, which, if you forgot, goes to the heart and soul of the Gamecocks baseball team. The heart and soul of the Gamecocks baseball team. And this is another one that, Kind of a no-brainer for me. I gave him this award at the midseason point. I'm going to give this award to him yet again. It's got to go to outfielder Brady Allen. Um, you know, it, it's only right, by the way, the Reaper of Souls himself, the guy who, you know, 
came up with this pretty much the Moore's Mihi Lucrum thing and the Reaper of Souls and the Scythe and all that, that he get the award. But I really thought not just on the field, but off the field as the clubhouse leader. And, and I've seen people on social media say, oh, this team didn't have great leadership. And that is the most bogus, outrageous, ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I thought this team's leadership was more than competent. It was excellent. I thought this team's leadership was great. And Brady Allen was at the forefront of that. I don't want to say much more because I'm going to get more to this in just a second and, 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 and rave on Brady Allen. But the Moore's Mihi Lucrum Award, it's a no-brainer for me. Outfielder Brady Allen. And I said it, I said it many, many times throughout the season that he was the heart and soul of this Gamecocks ball club. I will say this, by the way, honorable mention has to go to Colin Burgess. Has to go to Colin Burgess. I, I thought Burgess was a spark plug for us too. And the way that he handled the South kind of pitching staff should not be underappreciated. It, it should not go by the wayside and be overlooked. What Colin Burgess did this year was special. But the Morris Mehe Lucrum Award to me has to go to outfielder Brady Allen. Let's move into best moment of the 2021 baseball season. And there were many great moments from the walk-off against Florida in one of the craziest games you'll ever see, to uh, Brady Allen's three-run shot against Tennessee in front of 100% capacity Founders Park. I thought that was incredible. To lay in the wood to Mizzou in that Sunday game. To, uh, you know, taking down the dogs on the road. To, you know, beating Virginia in that game one. But what moves the needle more than anything for South Carolina fans? Beating Clemson. There's just no other way to put it. Beating Clemson. And Andrew Eister's walk-offs, back-to-back nights, to me, that's got to be the best moment of this season. And I, and I pair them both an unbelievable, incredible 48-hour or so span for Gamecocks baseball. And the most improbable sequence of events with Andrew Eister coming up in that exact scenario two nights in a row and coming through two nights in a row. I mean, guys, I talked about this with Cox by 90 last week when he asked me the top moment of the season or the best game of the season, I think he said. And I'll tell you guys, I mean, there were a lot of great games and a lot of great moments, but man, that Sunday game against Clemson, that's as nervous as I've been watching a baseball game. That's one of the greatest baseball games I've ever witnessed. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. The back and forth and the dramatics and, and the energy and the passion. It felt like the Super Regionals in, in February, and it really did. So for me, guys, best moment, Andrew Eister's walk-offs against Clemson. There's nothing sweeter, nothing better than taking down your arch rival. And when you do it in walk-off fashion, the way that South Carolina did, I, I just don't know there's many things that can truly top that in your season. So again, best moment, Andrew Eister's walk-offs against the Clemson Tigers. Guys, we're on to our last award, believe it or not, the 2021 TSUS Postseason Award Show for Gamecocks Baseball. And of course, we've got to close it out with the TSUS Season MVP. And, you know, again, this is another award you go many different directions. But I mentioned him just a few moments ago. And when I say MVP, the most 
valuable player. There were a lot of guys on the pitching staff I think you could have picked for this. So I think picking one of them would have been unfair. But the most valuable player for the Yardcocks in 2021, a guy that I think if they do not have him, South Carolina season is drastically, drastically different. And it's not just about what he did in center field. It's not just about what he did in the leadoff spot all year long. But it's about what he did in that clubhouse, what he did off the field, and being a leader for this South Carolina baseball team. So my TSUS season MVP goes to none other than Gamecocks outfielder Brady Allen. Like I just mentioned previously, Brady hit 276 on the year, 13 home runs, and 42 RBIs. A very good season. Hey, he was one of your top hitters in SEC play. Hit 268 on the season, nine homers, and 26 ribbies in SEC play. So did the job against the best competition as well. And again, it comes back to me, what makes Brady Allen valuable? It goes so far beyond statistics. It goes so far beyond, you know, his glove, his bat, whatever. The leadership qualities and being the true heartbeat of this team. This team went as Brady Allen went. Hey, I hate to put it all on him. Brady, if you're listening, you know, it's no knock on you. But, hey, I said that Brady Allen was my key player for the regionals. And South Carolina went one and two in the Columbia Regional. Look at Brady Allen's numbers. It directly reflects it. I mean, Brady Allen, this team most of the season, truly went as he went. And the good news for Carolina is most of the time he went. And he got this team going. But again, to me, I just think what he did on field, off field, everything I mentioned, the most valuable player, the TSUS season MVP, goes to none other than Gamecocks outfielder Brady Allen. So, guys, that's going to do it. Our postseason report card, as well as the 2021 postseason award show for Yardcocks baseball, is officially in the books. Congratulations to all of our winners. And I appreciate. You all tuning in. Now, really quickly, before we get into our listener questions, I do want to give kind of one, uh, just, just, just a couple of quick thoughts on counter baseball. Um, I thought about making this kind of like a segment, but I figured, you know what, I'll leave this wide open. Because a lot of you ask, have asked me about this season, prospects going on next, next season, all those different things. And like I told you guys, overall, Thought it was a good season, not a great season, right? Getting to the regionals, just getting to the regionals, that ain't the expectation in Columbia. Bottom line, it's not. But this season was not just some massive failure, like some people like to make it out to be. A lot of good came from this year. Hey, you saw a lot of young guys step up, especially on the mound. At the plate, you did see some nice things. Right, You did see some nice things at the plate. It wasn't all doom and gloom. But what needs to be the priority for Gamecocks baseball? What, what should be the priority for this team moving forward? What does this team need going into next season to make a run at a Super Regional, make a run at Omaha? Because I don't think this team is that far off, guys. But as, as I said all throughout the year, I think you're missing a couple of pieces. First things first, you need to find that true bona fide stud to man your rotation. 
I think Will Sanders is that guy. But you need to settle on that ace. You need to settle on that guy. Bottom line, you are not going to get to the Supers, and you're certainly not going to get to Omaha if you do not have that number one set. And you need to pitch like a number one. You can't go two and eight in game ones in SEC play. You just simply can't do it. I mean, the Gamecocks were fortunate to finish 16 and 14 in the SEC. When you factor in how bad they were in game ones, they were fortunate that they went 16 and 14. I mean, truly, truly they were. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing, simply put, I don't necessarily think there needs to be wholesale changes in the approach and the way you do things offensively. You've just got to go get some hitters, bottom line. And you got to develop the young guys coming in because you're going to be replacing a lot of guys in your lineup. Brady Allen, gone. Wes Clark, gone. Andrew Eister, gone. George Khalil, gone. Right? Hey, Jeff Heinrich's gone. You're going to be replacing a lot of guys in your lineup. You've got to find and also develop some guys. You've got to develop some hitters. Because as I told you guys earlier, hitting 246 overall, 228 in the conference, that ain't going to get the job done. It just didn't, simply put. It's not going to get the job done. So you got to find some hitters. That's the big things. You do, you do those two things, I think you're Gucci. I think you're a super regional team, and I think that's got to be the minimum expectation next year. I think hosting a regional, hosting a regional and getting to a super, that's what we need to see next year. Continue to see progress. Continue to see this program get better. You know, there will be pressure next year. There will be pressure because year five, Kingston's lineup. Hey, what do you do with your hitters, right? What do you do with your hitters? Overall, you know, I'm happy with the season. You know, I came in, we knew this team had some holes, but had good players as well. And I thought you saw a bit of a mixed bag. Obviously, pitching was great. Hitting struggled. And what you get is a 34-win ball club and a 16-14 SEC team. Good season, not great season. The next step is going from good season to great season in year five of Kingston. So that's going to do it for me, guys. All right, let's get into your listener questions, and we'll dive into our interview. Underscore Luke 10 Boyd underscore says, I think the guys showed a lot of heart all year. Wouldn't want any other guys in the garnet and black. I'd agree with you, Luke. I'd agree with you. Yeah, this was a great group of dudes, honestly. Ali.greer.7583 says, hopeful, exciting, ultimately disappointing. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, you lose a regional on your home field, and, you know, it stings even more now knowing you would have hosted a super had you taken care of your business. So, yeah, I mean, it's a tough pill to swallow, but, you know, it is what it is. Last question, Austin underscore Riggs 12 said, Joe sat best off the bench. Never plays first, did awesome, barreled up the ball. Yeah, I mean, and Joe will obviously be gone. Um, you know, that was his last collegiate game. But I thought Joe did a pretty good job coming off the bench. You make a very good point. I thought Joe did a pretty damn good job for what it was worth for South Carolina this year. So, all right, guys. Hey, don't go anywhere. we got a great interview coming up. Former Gamecocks defensive lineman Cedric Cooper. Really, really fun stuff talking to Ced. 
Uh, he obviously played in the glory days of Gamecocks football. We talk about that. Steve Spurrier beating Clemson. Much, much more. A great conversation, guys. Sit back, relax, enjoy. It is all brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. Guys, Father's Day is just around the corner, and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 and Ultra Smooth Package. You know what they say? Like father, like son, the brand new Lawnmower 4.0 and Ultra Smooth Package is perfect for you and the dad in your life to complete your grooming game. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code TSUS at manscaped.com. Again, guys, we've all been there, right? You're getting ready for a date, whatever it may be. You're, you're just trimming up. You cut yourself, you nick yourself, you're bleeding, it stings, it hurts. It's just no bueno. It's no good for you. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming, and their brand-new shaving tools just dropped right in time for Father's Day, guys. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is now available in the U.S. and Canada. What makes this waterproof trimmer different from all, all the other trimmers, you may ask? This 7,000 RPM trimmer features skin-safe technology to keep your balls in check and has helped reduce manscaping accidents around the world. Guys, a new multifunction on and off switch can engage a travel lock created for jet setters. Also, the Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Also, guys, additional guard links with sizes 1 through 4 to let you trim to your liking. Guys, I love investing in the best new technology and advancements, and I'm blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. Guys, if you want the complete package, the Manscaped Ultra Smooth Package is a three-step kit to help keep your family jewels protected. Step one, the crop exfoliator infused with ingredients that can soothe, clear, and keep the skin on and around your groin feeling refreshed, reducing the risk of ingrown hairs by your delicates. Step two, crop gel. See where you're shaving with our unique clear shaving gel just for the groin. And step three, of course, guys, it's time to shave, right? The crop shaver was designed for shaving the groin area with confidence. Three precision blades include extra wide lubricating strips and a pivoting head for the ultimate groin grooming experience. All three of these vegan, cruelty-free, and sulfate-free products are included so you know your manhood is in good hands. Guys, stop imagining your dad has it covered because, let's face it, he probably does not, right? Get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code TSUS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at promo code uh, at manscaped.com with promo code TSUS. U.S. Guys, it's dad bod season. Time to get smooth. This is the perfect package for you and your dad's perfect package. Guys, appreciate you all tuning in. Now, enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks football player Cedric Cooper. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2011 to 2015. During his career, he accumulated 20 tackles, two tackles for loss, and one sack. Of course, he was part of the Gamecocks defenses, some of the best in school history, part of five straight wins over Clemson, three straight 11-win seasons. You guys already know the drill. He currently lives in Atlanta pursuing an acting career, guys. And also, as we talked off air, was kind of Vine famous during that time, which I, I think is just awesome. I think it's incredible. Also was with uh, Patrick Fish. They, they both were, were on that spotlight. Whatever. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But Cedric Cooper, former Gamecocks defensive lineman, said, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Cedric, let's go back to the beginning for you. Um, you're from Lithonia, Georgia, and obviously you live in Atlanta now, but from Lithonia, Georgia, 
Um, just talk about the recruiting process for you because you get to South Carolina in 2011. I'm curious, and we're going to get more in-depth with this later in the show, but did Shane Beamer, did he have any involvement in your recruitment? Because I know probably when you were being recruited, I think 2010 was Shane's last year there. So did he have any involvement? If so, what was that like? If not, obviously Coach Spurrier, Lorenzo Ward, that entire staff, Brad Lawing, of course, who I've had in the studio a couple of times, absolute legend of a human being he is. But talk about your recruitment to South Carolina, schools it came down to and why you chose the Gamecocks. Man, uh, so, yeah, in, in Lithonia, Georgia, man, it was um, – <clears throat> so Lithonia, Georgia, just in the whole, in the whole county, DeKalb County, it was kind of known for, for football. And uh, I kind of got a late start when it came to football. Honestly, I think it was just the amount of anger. I just played mad, which kind of kind of worked out for me. And um, my recruiter was Lorenzo Ward. And the first time I met Ward, uh, he stood out to me. He was, he was like, Coop, you're like, Coop, what you doing, Coop? I was like, man, I, I was like, I'm doing good, man. And um, he was, uh, he was one of the most authentic coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he always told the truth. He always gave a, a raw approach to how the coaching process worked. And uh, honestly, I think the whole entire coaching staff when it came to Carolina, because uh, Carolina at first, when I was going through the recruiting process, I, who was I looking at? I was looking at Ole Miss, Arkansas, Tennessee, um, Kentucky. Uh, there, there was a multiple. I don't remember all of them. But it was when I went to South Carolina and got a really good feel for all of the players, everyone. I just felt it felt like family the most. Mm. And um, once I got a chance to, to visit, I was just like, all right, well, I, I think this is this is exactly where I want to be. And then the rest was history. Mm. So you get on campus. I'm curious, though, Steve Spurrier, um, first interactions with him, I, you know, obviously you being a defensive guy, I know the relationship with each player is different, but you being a defensive guy, I know Coach Spurrier stuck with the uh, the offensive players. And I mean, of course, you got on campus at a really exciting time. I mean, South Carolina's coming off going to the SEC championship game. And I'm sure, you know, you're thinking to yourself, we're going back. I mean, definitely with those teams that were coming back and the success you guys had, obviously following up those couple of years. But uh, first interactions with Spurrier, did you have a lot of contact with him or was he kind of just to himself with the offense? I'm going to be extremely humble right now hmm. and, and give a very authentic answer. I didn't know who Steve Spurrier was when I first uh, when I first started um, getting recruited and stuff. And um, they were just like, you don't know who the ball coach is? <laughs> it was like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, what's wrong with you? And uh, I was just like, yeah, I don't I don't know who the guy is. When I first came to my official visit, not my official visit. Yeah, I think it was my official visit. I kind of I kind of walked past him. I didn't even know. We were, like that's how oblivious I was when it came to the whole recruiting process. I didn't really, I didn't really watch football or anything. All I knew was when I was on the field, anyone who had the ball, they should be hit. That's pretty much what I, what I did. It was pretty much just A plus B equals C. Right. C ball, get ball. That, that's all you needed to do. I didn't really watch football. Didn't really do anything like that. And it was um, once I realized who who it was, uh, once I realized, sorry about that, once I realized uh, uh, it was him, I had a conversation with him 
And the funny thing is, like, he's very, very outspoken mm. in his memory. I don't care what people say about him. His memory is impeccable. He can remember every single conversation you've had. He can remember the clothes you've had on, the shoes you wore, the time of day it was. And uh, it's, that's a, it's a double-edged sword because if you mess up during a play, he remembered that too. So uh, my first experience with him was um, he was just very expressive. He was very open. He was always positive sometimes. He didn't, he didn't have... Uh, he didn't have a problem with letting you know how he felt about how you did at that particular moment. Um, but yeah, that was, that was my experience with him. Now, Cedric, some people would say you came in as the same class as Jadavion Clowney. I, I'd say he came in as the same class as you. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you, I mean, obviously you come in with him and, you know, not all freshmen are built the same. We all know right. that. And, and JD Clowney, I mean, the, number one all-time recruit ever. Um, and you knew from the moment he stepped on campus, he, he was an absolute freak. Just, I guess, what was that like? Again, you come in, not all freshmen are built the same, and I'm sure you're going through going through reps or you get on campus and you look at this guy and you're like, what on God's green earth? Like, what? And, I mean, you're a guy, you know, you're a guy that I feel like people used to joke, like this dude looks like an Under Armour model, like one of the mannequins. Like, you're, you're a guy that – the genetic pool, like you, you won the genetic lottery in some ways, right? Not to, sure. not to take anything away from you, but I mean, you know, a fit dude. But then you look at Clowney, who, I mean, talking to Coach Long, it's like he didn't even have to touch a weight. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't work out. Like it's just God given. Like how, how wild was that to you? What was that like coming in with him and just kind of seeing him evolve as a player? Watching him on YouTube versus <laughs> seeing him in person. No comparison. You you see him move and you're like, oh, okay, like he's playing and stuff. When you see him in person, I said, my Lord. I said, that is that is a big, big young guy because he was young. He was my same exact age. So we're coming in freshman and I'm just like, dude, this dude is huge. But the one thing I will say about Clowney is that he will talk to anybody. He was extremely humble, didn't have a crazy big head. He knew he was good. Mm. And I call that confidence. I don't call that being like cocky. But he knew uh, what he brought to the table. And he was overall just a really good guy, in my personal opinion. Mm. No, for sure. And like I said, you were on campus, said it, it was a really exciting time. I mean, 2011, 12, 13, all, all the great games. Uh, I see you came in right as a linebacker, right? And then transitioned to defensive end. What, what was the, I guess, the overall involvement of the position you played on the field? Were you, did you feel more comfortable? hand the dirt defensive end or more standing up at the linebacker position or kind of a mix of the two. Like, and obviously you play for the great Brad Lowing, who again, I, I've had him sit in here and he is a mad scientist when it comes to pass rush. I mean, he's told me, he, he's told me all kinds of things. Like I never thought of that. He's like, if I know where your center's going, it's over. And it's just like, like I never even thought about it, but what, what was the, for you personally as a player, the evolution of your role on the field, how, how did that change? It was, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a great experience, to be honest with you. Um, when I started out as a linebacker, it was it was my first exposure to, obviously, like the collegiate level. I mean, mm. you're going from high school to like SEC. In high school, you have some people that are fast. You have some people that are strong. When you get to the SEC, I mean, good Lord. I mean, it's everybody's strong. Everybody's fast. 
And when I started out as linebacker, it was great. I was moving. I was doing really well. Had a few injuries. Um, I kept getting bigger. Mm. That was the thing. I kept getting bigger. And the bigger I got, it, it just worked. They put me, I think they put me down in a, um, it was it was some sort of package they had where they had a clowny on one side and then they had me on one side. And uh, I think it was like a smoke package. And uh, I put my hand on the ground. And then Clowney and I would, would meet at the uh, meet at the quarterback uh, a few times. So from there, they were just like, "Hey, said like you look good down there. Would you would you consider going to the?" I said, "The heck yeah!" And then exactly, we had like Coach Lauren. Like, you, are you kidding me? Like, the dude is a scientist. Mm. Well, unfortunately, I didn't have him for that long before he uh, before he parted ways and, and and continued on his journey. But in that short amount of time. He wasn't so focused on you doing a whole bunch of stuff. He was like, do your job and do it well. This is what you look at. This is what, these are your cues. And then once you have that down pack, go off. But I, I honestly, I, I liked, I liked being, having my hand on the ground a little bit more than my mm-hmm. And I just think back, man, th- those defensive lines that you were a part of just, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, two, three deep. I just and people talk because people think about and they talk about Clowney, but they forget about the Travian Robertsons and the Melvin Ingrams and the and the Devin Taylors. And I mean, it's just the Chaz Suttons. I mean, they, they forget about those guys. It was just like one. I'll race you to the quarterback. That was type yeah. of the mentality. Yeah. Kelsey Quarles, my God, Kelsey oh my Quarles. Gosh. Kelsey was crazy. <laughs> he was. He was. Oh, Byron Gerardo, who's on staff now. I mean, it's just the yeah. names. You keep going and going and going. It was. Unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. And I, I think one of the – I'm pretty sure one of those teams set the record for uh, for sacks in a season. I think that 12 team. I think that was the one. Was it 12? 12 or 13, I think. I think, I think it was, it was one of those. I think, was, I think it was 13. Was it 13? Okay. 13. I know it was one if of those. We had, if we had Clowney, then we were – Yeah. <laughs> you have a chance. It was one of those years. Yeah. No, for sure. I, I, I want to talk about, again, the 11, 12, 13, man, because obviously that was just an insane run. I mean, probably it had to go just about as well as you could have imagined outside of getting that SEC championship title, which, you know, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, 11 straight or 11 wins three years in a row, bowl wins all three of those years. And you had bowl wins four years in a row those first four years. I mean, simply put, it had to be pretty cool to be a Carolina football player at that point. I, I'd have to imagine – that was a pretty good time to to, was, to rock the jersey. <laughs> goodness. I mean, you 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 got to think about it. Like you got like a lot of guys that were coming there. Like you're coming from a little town, or you're mm-hmm. coming from just like a just wherever you're coming from. There is no experience like being on a winning SEC football team, mm-hmm. especially at University of South Carolina. When I say every, if you had that jersey on, if you were on that roster, everybody loved you. I mean, everybody loved you. If you messed up, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It'll get better. It'll get better. But it was, oh my gosh, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Mm. You know, I got exposed to so many different things. Could you imagine running out to a game and sixty plus? thousand people are just screaming there's so much euphoria 
you get such a euphoric feeling that it's unmatched. So when you get out of that, out of that, uh, out of that element, you're just like, gosh, how can I, how can I get this, this rush again? And that's kind of how I like transitioned and started to go into uh, like really acting. Mm. Now, again, that, that three-year stretch, I, I know it's going to be a tough answer, but there's so many games we could talk about and break down. Is there one moment or one game for you that stands out, either an on-field moment or just, you know, being on the sideline? or what? I mean, obviously, I mean, my mind goes back to the Clemson games, 12 Georgia. I mean, it, it was just so many. But is there is there one that stands out above the rest is, like, just the ultimate game during that stretch? I think, was it 20? When did UGA come to our It was 2012, the 2012 UGA game. I figured you say that, but I – Man, are you kidding? Yeah. That's when Ace was going the off. I was on the kickoff return team, so I was blocking for him too. And the way he was just moving and, – and UGA, they were talking so much mess, man. I mean, so much mess. The stuff that was coming out of their mouth. And I'm just like, man, you are that mad that you're losing right now. But it was, it was so funny to me. I was just laughing, but – yeah, that that had to be the loudest I've heard. That's probably the loudest I've heard. Uh, uh, Williams Bryce, mm. like the loudest I've heard it. Yeah, a lot, a lot was, of fan- my head was ringing the entire time. Yeah, I was gonna say a lot of fans said it's still the greatest quarter of South Carolina football ever. That first quarter, I, I believe so too. Capped I, off I, with the uh, the Ace Sanders. Oh yeah, punt return. Oh yes, Ace was like he's legendary for those. Uh, it's just crazy, man, how, how things change. Because I, I think back to that night, um, the, the, the the different set of problems we had then than we do now. I remember being pissed off that we let them score. I was like, how are we going? We got to get the shutout. Come on. Just, just being lazy. You know, when, you know, sometimes when you when you get that, yeah. that, it's, that when you're ahead, you're just 35 like, nothing in the fourth yeah, quarter. I mean, you're just yeah. like, ah, yeah. <laughs> Golly. Well, I want to ask you and get your perspective on this, man, because again, it 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 turned a different way in 2014, and then of course 15, what happened? But did you at all see that coming in 14? Like, was there? Because I know as a fan base, I don't think anybody. We all just kind of expected, like, okay, we're ranked preseason top ten again. A and M's coming to town. We're just gonna whoop their ass and just kind of keep it rolling. And DT is gonna do his thing at quarterback, and we just reload. And you know, obviously the. The 2014 season was – and it was a lot of close losses and really interesting. I think maybe some of the good fortune we had in that three-year stretch, I don't know, maybe the, the ball bounce is kind of funny. But what, what was it like, I guess, going through that 14 season? Because I highlighted by the 2014 Georgia game, which I was at, and that was a blast, by the way. And to talk about a team that was talking junk, I remember specifically Todd Gurley getting up in Bryson Allen Williams' face. Oh, yeah. Specifically, <laughs> headbutting him. And we got called for the flag. But yeah. – uh, yeah. But the 14 season as a whole first, I mean, what was that like going through that? Were you surprised at how that season went? Honestly, very. I was, I was very surprised. And it was, uh, it, was, it was a bit of a shock. It was a shock to a lot of us, you know. Um, we didn't – I mean, we, we still were pretty stacked. We still mm-hmm. had a lot of good guys, you know. And, I, and honestly, I, I think, you know, people just kind of got accustomed to what it was that we were doing. You know, it, you know, we weren't doing anything extravagant, you know, we weren't doing anything that was like, you know, we we pretty much, we pretty much got predictable. And then once people realized that they were just like, okay, they're going to do this, they're going to do that, they're going to do this. And then once they kind of got used to that, then it was just, you know, because we didn't have crazy powerhouse, like, 
like Melvin or mm. or uh, or Clowney just pummeling through the line, meaning like it doesn't matter what you do, you're still going to get hit. But uh, yeah, it was it was a bit of a shock for me. Mm. Now that 2014 Georgia game, like I said, I remember seeing you on the field a good bit. I mean that that was another one that. That was that 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 place was shaking that day. That oh. night, I should say. You remember we had the hour and a half delay, and mm-hmm. oh yeah, I mean the 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 roosters were feeling pretty good in the yeah. student section throughout the stadium. Um, yeah, I mean me- memories from that game at all. I mean, obviously the, the the Marshall Morgan missed field goal and then the fourth and one at midfield. But I mean, dude, just I just feel like beating Georgia. You had you guys had a ton of success against Georgia while you were there. It was incredible. Oh yeah, I mean it. It was it was honest. It was just surreal, man. It's like those moments. Like sometimes I play them back. Sometimes I have dreams about them. Sometimes mm-hmm. like just reliving it, and I'm just like I'll wake up with like goosebumps. Like just from anytime I think about it. Yeah, I'm getting goosebumps now. It's like anytime you think about it, it just it gives you a rush. And uh, moments of that just hitting Todd Gurley. <laughs> he was a big guy. Yeah, I mean he's still a big guy. Yeah. But at that time, you know. You weren't seeing running backs that were like six two, six three at the at that size, just running and, and pummeling through like that, you know. So uh, for me, it was just a very physical game, um, and learned a lot. It was it was it was pretty crazy, man. Yeah. Before we get off eleven to thirteen, Cedric, I got to ask you, of course, about the South Carolina Clemson rivalry. I'm sure that. You know, being from the state of Georgia, Lithonia, Georgia, maybe you weren't quite as familiar with it. But I, you know, if, if you literally Google your name, there are plenty of pictures of you flashing the five after the game's over, and like, I mean, all, yeah. all you guys, it was, it was incredible. I, I, you talk about that rivalry, kind of when you learned just how big of a deal it was, and and being a part of that. I mean, you got the the last three of the five game win streak, and I mean. Like you said, being being a South Carolina football player during that time when you're winning is great, but especially when you're beating Clemson, I mean that's it's the icing on the cake, man. You, you guys obviously dominated them for for your first three years there. Yeah, it was. Uh, oh my gosh, man! I had a so uh, Gary Peters that was on the Clemson football team. He and I grew up together, and he and I was always competitive. And I went on two visits, went on, I went on, a Clemson offered me, I went, I went on a Clemson visit and I went on a South Carolina visit. When I went to Clemson, Gary was like, oh, come on, man, you already know you need to come here. I was just like, no, I, I just didn't feel it. You right. know, I just didn't feel it. It was, it was, it was a little bit too much orange for me. I was just like, nah, this, <laughs> this, this is not the vibe I really like. But beating them was the absolute best. I mean, I can't tell you. Uh, and it was it was crazy because you develop this hate for them. You know, like any, even today, when I see people that are Clemson supporters, I'm just like, I don't know about you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, I, and it's just, it, it's all fun and games, but at the same time, it's like that rivalry yeah. got so serious there was so many times as we were playing I was about to fight people I'm getting in people's faces and in my head I'm just like gosh like this game is just so intense that was um I would say the the Clemson games are the ones that got the most rowdies the Clemson games and the UGA games were the ones that got the most rowdies yeah 
I was going to say it probably got pretty personal for you because I it was 2011. I remember correctly. Taj Boy when he sent the tweet out that the South Carolina defensive line was average. That's when like Twitter was just kind of really getting going, and mm. <laughs> he tried to say he didn't say it. it's like receipts don't lie, Taj. Receipts right. don't lie. Right. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, Melvin and JD and the boys did not take very kindly to it. I'll put it that they way. Were going crazy. Yeah. And just seeing it, like it's it's different. It's different watching it in the stands. Mm. Being on the field is like, oh my gosh! Because those hits, people mm. don't realize those hits were so hard. My mm. body kills every single morning when I wake up. If I don't work out, my body will fall apart. Right. And those hits were just so serious. But that rivalry, man. I mean, you can't honestly. I think it's one of the best rivalries. In for sure. Now, 2015, Cedric, I, I'm really curious to get your perspective when the whole Coach Spurrier thing goes down and he announces his retirement. I, you know, and I've heard stories from other guys, guys like Perry or some of your former teammates, where it was one of those things you guys, I guess, had a Tuesday practice and Coach Spurrier was kind of like a weird vibe in the sense of like he kind of gave off indications that maybe this was it for him. I, what, what do you recall from that sequence of events? And I guess – I don't think it was anything anybody really saw coming. I mean, what do you just remember from that whole saga of Coach Spurrier announcing he was retiring? Man, we heard it in his voice. You know, uh, for a man that loves what he does so much and the legacy that he built, you can tell how painful it was for him to really express it to us. You know, a lot, a lot of the guys there, I mean, we, a lot of guys, like it was a transition there. Like a lot of boys became men at University of South Carolina and Spurrier was a part of that sometimes, along with a lot of the coaches staff. And so when he, when he kind of, that's, that's just like the CEO of a business that has been doing really good, has some good years. This is one bad year. The CEO just saying, yeah, I'm going to step down. And you're just like, wait a minute, what? And you could you could just hear the defeat, mm. the defeat in there. And you know he's he's trying to be uh, positive. He's trying to be empowering and just say you know we're gonna be all right. But we knew it. We've heard it. It was a you you kind of don't want to believe it at first, mm. you know, because you're now a part of the class. Because now sometimes we feel like we're the class that caused him to like part ways you know so it was a it was a bit of a shell shock but sometimes you know it's that's just the game you know it's mm -hmm. just a business and when it happened things just had to had to keep moving yeah and, and things happen for a reason I again I wanted to get more of your perspective that being your senior year I mean how, how tough was that that you know because again you, you get to South Carolina and the way things went 11 12 13 I mean and if you'd ask fans, it was saying you just would have never fathomed, would have never fathomed that that was that close to have. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it was a, it was like a twenty-four month just boom, all of a sudden. Yeah, you know? and, I, and, and and to be honest, I, I think, I think a lot of it was out of his control. Right. I definitely do feel as though a lot of it was out of his control. So I, I want people to to really understand, you know. Um, there's a there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to like coaching staffs and there's a lot of higher ups that have decision making power versus just the coaches. Mm. And so for that reason, I don't think 
him and his his own personal control, he would have made that decision. Mm. At least not then at that year. For sure. Well, like I said, you, you finished up your career 2015. I want to move to, Cedric, the current state of Carolina football. Because obviously after you leave, Will Muschamp gets hired. Um, we go through the Will Muschamp tenure. Now Shane Beamer gets the job. It's like you said, you weren't recruited by him, but he was there literally right before you got there. I don't know if you've you know, like you say, you, you didn't really watch the game growing up necessarily or watch a ton of football, but how much have you kept up with the Carolina football program? Do you know anything about Shane Beamer and kind of what's going down there? And I guess your overall thoughts on the program moving forward. I overall just love his – I love his tenacity. I love his coaching style. I love how authentic he is. I love how uh, – I just love how he runs things. You know, he's – He's, he allows you to prove him wrong. And that's something that I really do appreciate within a coach. You know, his, his patience level is very high. And he surrounds himself with the right people that knows the things that he may not know. You know, when you have... The one thing that I will say that is, that is extremely smart that may not be as logical, you'll have a lot of coaches that did not play in the league, but they're telling you how to get to the league. Mm -hmm. And for the simple fact that majority or almost everyone in his coaching staff has went to the league, played, and then decided to coach, they have a different perspective on things. They've actually played in the actual position that they're coaching. And that's another thing. You would have people that were coaching a certain role or a certain position that never played the position. And for that reason, you, you ask yourself, you're just like, wait a minute, like, is, is this a qualified teacher here? But at the same time, Beamer knows what he wants. He knows where he's going. He has a good vision. And I'll, overall, I like him as a coach. Mm, for sure. Yeah, I know we're all excited for the Beamer ball era, of course, getting going this fall. Um, the I would say, man, honestly, fans, I think are as excited about this season as they've been most excited since probably 2014. I mean, honestly, I mean, it's, it's that type of, you know, obviously with Coach Beamer coming from, you know, he was on Steve Spurrier's staff and people hear that and obviously they get really pumped up. But uh, the overall fan morale, the morale of the program, I don't know if it could be much higher, honestly. Cedric, before we get out of here, man, you've been gracious with your time. I appreciate it. I want to get to you personally. Obviously, again, like I said, you're living in Atlanta pursuing an acting career. And uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you were, you know, I was, we talked off here. I was in school at the same time, about the same time you were. And we all know about TikTok right now, but Vine was the big thing. And, and you and Fish just crushed it, just crushed Vine. So I'm not surprised to see you. You always had like that very big personality, very outgoing personality, big smile, everything. And uh, I watched some of your work really, really good. Just kind of talk about where that love for acting came from and, you know, honestly, following your passion, what you want to get out of it, you know, how, how you want to see it go through, if you will. Like, what's it been like pursuing that and, and chasing the dream? Uh, so acting for me um, was kind of like my outlet. When you're in school, you got workouts, you got study hall, you got to remember plays, you got to do this, you got to do that. It wasn't until I took my one of my first theater classes in Professor Duffy. I wonder if he's still at University of South Carolina, Professor Duffy. And when I got in there, uh, and there was like other football players there too and whatnot, 
I took it so serious. I wasn't that much of a talker at the time when I was in class, but I took it so serious. And when he gave me the stage, when he allowed me to express and, and act, I just, I fell, fell so in love with it, man. And I uh, decided to minor in it. So I like, I kind of like, that was my minor in, um, in fine arts there at the University of South Carolina. And I went through all the courses and did the plays and, it was something that I just ultimately just fell in love with. It was something that I really felt as though was my calling and what I was kind of created to do. And for the longest, people have always called me dramatic. They've always called me silly <laughs> and uh, Terry Crews and hey, you're going to be on TV and everything. And I never really paid it attention. Um, but when it comes to acting, a lot of people think it's just being on television. It's, it's, it's being on uh, the fame and the entertainment and thing is so much more than that. You know, you're, you're literally taking a story and you're telling someone it's truth with just make-believe circumstances. And that's what a lot of actors will tell you is the truth with just make-believe circumstances. And it takes, it takes a mindset. It takes a, uh, for me, when it comes to like having plays and there's a process, there's practice, there's so many different things so that you can perform on game day. It's the same exact thing when it comes to acting. There's a process, there is training, there is an extensive amount of steps you have to take in order to be considered decent when it comes to this field. And where I wanna take it is as far as I can. You know, I'm, I'm not really into this to kind of just be famous or anything like that. It's something that I'm truly passionate about. It is something that allows me to deal with a lot of the insecurities that I have within myself. You know, I, I kind of lose myself into these different characters and it allows me to truly, uh, really just express and to live in different lives. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm myself all the time. So I love to be different people. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty awesome, man. It's, it's been a great experience. Atlanta is where I'm from. Atlanta is where I've been raised. So to be here to do it, and to be familiar with the, the areas is perfect. I'm glad I don't really have to go out to a LA yet or a New York yet, uh, and I can just do it right now, right at home. So, Cedric, what's tougher, being an SEC defensive lineman or being an actor? I would say it has its own set of difficulties for both. Uh, physically, <laughs> I'd probably say I'd probably say SEC football, <laughs> playing football. Uh, mentally, I would say acting, I would say acting is, uh, is a little, is definitely mentally a little bit more, um, more difficult and let me, uh, out of this. can you see me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're good. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was just one of those situations where I've been challenged mentally a lot more when it comes to when it comes to the acting spectrum because you have to you have to really understand you really have to understand who the person is the character what they care about what they want what are their motivations what are they willing to do to get this so many different things and when it comes to football it's more of a I think it's, it's, and it depends on the person, but for me, I think it's, for me, it's more reactive than it is more proactive. You can prep when it comes to being an athlete and being, 
being in football, but when it comes to uh, when it comes to when it comes to football, you you can prep for it, you can practice and stuff. But to me, I just feel like it's just two completely different muscles, mm. just two completely different muscles to use. Like you said, man, football is just A plus B equals C. C ball go get ball. That's it. Ball, ball, <laughs> just, win. That's, it. That, that's what football is. Win. Don't yeah, that's it. do that's not it. lose. That's, just, find, just find a way. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly how it is. Yeah. I think JD Clowney is still implementing that to this day, man. I, I just man. hey, just go man. be a beast and don't even worry about your assignment. Just go, just run. Get the ball. That's what that man does. Good. <laughs> he does best. He got his. He got his family going. I'm so happy. I, I'm glad I, I still get to to follow a lot of these guys on like social media. That's one thing I do love about social mm-hmm. media that you can follow people's lives. Him and uh, um, uh, Nyjah, uh, I hope I said her name right. All the way from college, just seeing their journey and mm-hmm. where they are now, I'm I'm so happy for them. It's beautiful. And he has a little son, so you know there's going to be another one. <laughs> if he ends up num- the number one pick, I am going to lose it. I'm gonna, you know, just... J.D. Jr. Right, J.D. Jr., number J.D. one Jr. pick, right? <laughs> That's it. Cedric, like I said, you've been graced with your time. One last thing before I get you out of here. Uh, if you had to look back on your career, I'm going to put you on the spot. Just favorite memory or something that stands out, whether it be funny quip from coach Spurrier or something that happened to you on the field, whether it in game practice or maybe something off field. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of five point stories. You can't tell, but we'll leave it at that. But uh, no, just anything that stands out, I guess, maybe off the wall or just in general from your time in Columbia. Um, let me see. I would say, I would say the one thing that I really did appreciate that really stood out to me was, uh, you know, you always have those certain coaches that were very, very impactful for you. They were very, very impactful. And one of the coaches that was extremely impactful for, for, and I can speak for a lot of, a lot of us was, was Deke Adams. Deke Adams was one of those coaches that he said, I'm going to coach you, but he says, I have two sons. He said, and I'm going to talk to you guys like y'all are my sons and y'all are my family. And he instilled principles and morals into us outside of just, just playing the game. And uh, I, I tell him this till this day, because I, I still be in contact with him every once in a while, I shoot him a text. And I tell him like his, his culture really was impactful. He really helped me get through a lot of different things uh, that I was going through when I was in college too. So um that's one thing that really, really, really did stand out to me. And I will shout out to the University of South Carolina's uh, process of getting the right coaches in there because outside of just winning games, uh, they're people, they have families, and they're overall just really good guys. For sure. Well, Cedric, like I said, this has been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for doing this again. Best of luck, by the way, with the acting career. Of course, we'll be following along with that. But uh, I know I can speak for all Gamecock fans when I say it was a pleasure to watch you. And obviously your teammates do what you did. And watching you in the Garnet and Black, man, was was incredible. Are, are you on TikTok, by the way? Do you do do you dabble in that? Yes, yes. yes hey, oh, I see, do. now now here we go. Here we go. This is I do, I do have TikTok. Uh, my TikTok is said loves L-U-V-S. Dej, D-A-I-J. That's my wife. She went to the University of South Carolina too. She was on the okay. Side. Okay. Yeah, and let everybody know where they can find all your 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 reels and all your your con your content stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I, like so, I told you, I was checking out your YouTube page. I mean, 
obviously we want, we want people to see this. Let them know where they can find it all. Yeah, so you guys can follow me on Instagram, uh, also TikTok, just in my TikTok. My Instagram is Cedric underscore Cooper. Um, more projects to come. Uh, I'm also writing a lot of different things of my own. Um, and anyone that is open to just collaborating and networking and building the right relationships within the entertainment industry, reach out to me. Uh, let's work. Any, any, Anyone that has scripts that they want to work together on or something, reach out. And uh, I'm all about collaborating and, and making everyone better. So uh, follow me on Instagram. I don't have a Twitter. And Facebook is just Cedric Cooper. Mm. You're probably smart for not having a Twitter. I'll just leave it at that. So I, That's exactly <laughs> that is why I deleted it. I deleted it years ago because I was like, dude, <laughs> this is not where I need to be. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, hey. That's a good call, honestly. Well, Cedric, like I said, again, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It was a pleasure doing this. Let's definitely chat again soon, for sure. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate you. For sure. He's Cedric Cooper. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show.